Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and have an eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at Exo. J-A-C-Q-U-I.com. Made for women by women. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says it's astounding. Time is fleeting. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. I'm Joe McCormick, and that's not the first time we've used that lyric on this show. No, it's not. Well, it's anyway. Okay. But we warp around. Right. Sometimes. Warp around. Yeah. Warp, warp. Yes. Warp. Okay, sorry. Well, today we're going to be talking about not just one listener request, but a topic we have gotten lots of requests about in the past few weeks. Right. Uh, yeah. Right, but generally we've been... Getting requests, I think this is sort of like some people are confusing a couple of topics and sort of putting them into the same category. But, Understandably. Uh, so let, let's back up and, and tell yeah. the story of the so-called NASA M-Drive. First of all, I'm just going to have to say I don't think it is quite correct or appropriate to call it the NASA M-Drive. Uh, from what I can tell, it is not, in essence, a NASA project. The M-Drive is sort of a concept uh, there's there's one main model, but then others that are very similar. 
Mm-hmm. And then recently we've had some experiments by a subdivision of the Johnson Space Center at NASA who have tested versions of the M-Drive. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that, that division a little bit later in the episode. Right, but I don't think there, I don't think it's really correct to call it the NASA M-Drive. So we'll just call mm-hmm. it the M-Drive. Yeah. So simply put, the M-Drive is a proposed method for generating thrust in space without propellant. It's a propellantless drive. Which is um, – or at least propellant in the way that we we generally understand propellant because there are some weird, wacky uh, quasi-explanations of what might be going on mm-hmm. in which we could be talking about a quantum propellant, but we'll get to that too. Sure. OK. So let's look at how today's space vehicles work. So today's space propulsion is – Pretty much all based on Newton's third law. Which is pretty good. as a good law. Yeah. It's also <laughs> known as the conservation of momentum. And that's where Newton said that uh, you can't keep a witch in your basement unless you pay a tax to the local regent. No, wait. That was the fourth law. Sorry. No, no, no. Newton's third law. Holy grail. No, no. The conservation of momentum. Uh, so it's for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Uh-huh. You've heard this one before. Uh, you could paraphrase this as the sort of uh, throw the medicine ball method, as I've called it. So imagine you're sitting in a rolling office chair mm-hmm. on a very smooth surface, and you've got one of those big heavy medicine balls and, in your hand. And your feet are not on the ground. You're not adding right, any you're drag Right, you're not bracing there. against right. anything. Okay. And now you just take that ball in your hands and you throw it as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, the ball goes off in one direction, and then you roll away in the opposite direction. Right. And this is the basic principle behind a chemical rocket engine. So in a chemical rocket engine, you burn fuel to eject lots of mass or Mm -hmm. propellant. The goal of the burning in a rocket engine is the exhaust. Right. Um, So you're going to be throwing all this hot gas out the back of the rocket. And then, of course, because of conservation of momentum, the rocket gets pushed forward with a proportional force. And there's actually a mathematical way to determine what that force is going to be. Yeah, it's incredibly simple, actually. <laughs> it's to, to figure out momentum. You take the mass of the body that's going to be, that's that's in motion, mm-hmm. and you multiply that with its velocity. Now, velocity is speed in a set direction, and that's really pr- important with momentum when you're talking about conserving momentum. So uh, the mass of the propellant in this case is very low. We're not, it's especially compared to the rocket itself, right? It's much smaller, but its velocity is incredible. So you multiply those two things together. Well, meanwhile, you've got the rocket, which has got a certain mass. As long as the, the, uh, the momentum is going to be greater than the rocket, then obviously you're going to have to, uh, if you, if both sides of that equation have to be equal, you have to have some velocity with the rocket going in the opposite direction. That's what's conserving the momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the rocket will end up moving through space in the opposite way from the direction of the propellant. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want to picture this relationship with just a concrete example, imagine instead of the big medicine ball, you sit in the rolling office chair and you shoot a gun. Yeah. Right. The weight of the bullet, that's not much mass. It's mm-hmm. a very low mass object, but it escapes with very high velocity and it's probably going to make you roll maybe as much or more than the medicine ball. So uh, that's your basic you know, That's just your basic rocket. Right. That's just the way that uh, well, that's the way the universe works. This, yeah. uh, our understanding of physics has this as one of the fundamental laws, this conservation of momentum. You cannot create it. You cannot destroy it. You can only conserve it. Right. 
Uh, right. You can move momentum around. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just chemical rockets, though. This is all methods of space propulsion that mm-hmm. we have that follow Newton's third law. So, for example, you have something like ion thrusters. Now, this is this can be classified as a type of electric propulsion, but it still accelerates by ejecting propellant. In this case, the propellant is ions or charged particles that are being sort of electrically gathered and flung out the back of the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, and it's a relatively low amount of mass, but mm. it can accelerate it at very high speed. And you can have, a, you know, you can have a constant acceleration where the acceleration itself might not be very dramatic, but over time, because you're accelerating, you're building on to that velocity, mm-hmm. you get faster and faster and faster. It's just that, that you know, uh, acceleration is very smooth and slow but that doesn't mean the speed is slow. The speed will just get additive well, over eventually. time. Well, eventually. I mean, yeah. it starts out not fast. Right. Now, yeah. you might be thinking, wait a minute. Now, I can think of some methods of travel uh, in space that aren't based on throwing mass out the back. Like, what about a solar sail or what mm. about beamed propulsion? Well, in both of those cases, you're still conserving momentum. It's just that instead of throwing something out the back, you're letting something push you from uh, the outside. Right, because radiation, electromagnetic radiation, has force. Right, yeah. so, so a solar sail would like stretch out a big reflective sail and let the sunlight push it out away from the sun. Mm-hmm. Or you might have some kind of system where you could beam energy or something or beam ions at... A, a, an object in space to push it forward. And that's all fine. That also is still obeying Newton's third law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interesting thing here is that we often think of electromagnetic radiation as not possessing any mass, right? Like the right. the idea that um, uh, a photon is, we often think of it as a massless particle that carries light. However, it it's kind of massless. Yeah, well, it has a relativistic mass. So there's that. But but also the interesting thing about momentum with electromagnetic radiation is that we're really looking at the energy of the particle. Mm-hmm. And the way you determine the momentum of a of electromagnetic waves is that you take the energy and you divide it by the speed of light. Now, the speed of light is a huge number. So unless that energy is truly astronomical, it's also going to be a very, very, very small number when you're done with that division. But that's the momentum of that electromagnetic wave. So in other words, as you might imagine, it takes a lot of energy to create a little momentum using electromagnetic radiation. Right. But of course, even in these scenarios where we're talking about electromagnetic radiation or something having some kind of momentum, like a force that it can impart, the laws of physics tell us that you can't accelerate a closed system yeah. because th- what we're talking about there is an open system. Mm-hmm. So you might have a solar sail that even if you um, discount, say, like uh, like charged particles and, and stuff like that flying into it, things that do have mass. If you're just talking about radiation pressure pushing on a solar sail, that's an open system. It's mm-hmm. being fed energy from the outside. Right now, according to the everything we understand about the laws of physics, you cannot accelerate a closed system, a system that doesn't have mass or energy coming in or going out. Right. So uh, one example I have seen that I, I read in an article somewhere was that imagine that you are sitting in the driver's seat of a car. And the engine isn't on. Uh, and this is this is John Baez's analogy. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And that uh, you push on the steering wheel in order to try and make the car go. <laughs> that doesn't work. 
you know, that is a closed system and there's nothing going in there to make that. And plus, as you're pushing here, obviously pushing yourself backward, it's all being equaled out. Nothing's happening. It, momentum is preserved within the system, but you uh-huh. don't get any external motion there. The car won't move. Oh, right, right. Uh, even the Flintstones car, if you, you know, if, 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 if you're moving your feet, that's a, that's a frictive surface that you're right. pushing against. Yeah, that's that, a, that is an open system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, according to the laws of physics, we know of three ways to move something. You can eject mass, like a chemical rocket. Mm-hmm. You can push against something, like we do with the Flintstone car, our feet in the Flintstone car, or the mm-hmm. wheels of a car with an engine. Or you can be pushed by something, like a sail in the ocean or a solar sail. Mm-hmm. That's conservation of momentum. We've, as far as we know, with one possible exception now, never, ever seen this violated. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the thing that may or may not be an exception. And uh, before we get too much into M-Drive, which, I mean, obviously we haven't gotten into it really at all yet. But before we really leap into this, we should also say you're going to hear a lot of uh, hypothesizing going on among the three of us. And that's because... This is actually something where every single research organization that has taken a look at it has come up with a different means of explaining what the heck is going on. So if you are listening to this hoping that we're going to give you the definitive answer as to does the M drive work, does it not work, if it does work, why does it work – I just want to go Sorry, ahead. Sorry, folks. Yeah, yeah, I got to warn you. No. That's not happening. Nobody has that. Yeah, not yeah. yet anyway. Certainly not us. <laughs> Uh, Definitely not us. (laughs) Right. Well, we'll offer plenty more caveats as we go down the road because this is uh, getting into territory. I think that's even weird for lots of physicists. We are by no means (laughs) physicists. So we're we're doing our best here, folks. But so let's talk about the M drive. Uh, The M drive is sort of uh, you could also call it the RF resonant cavity thruster. That's what it's been referred to in some of the literature. RF meaning radio frequency. Yeah. it is one system, but not the only one ever proposed, that attempts to challenge the absolute necessity of propellant for, for space travel, like we mm-hmm. were talking about. Uh, it wants to generate thrust like a traveling force without propellant. Okay, so the M-Drive was invented by the UK aerospace engineer Roger Scheuer uh, sometime around the year 2000. And Shawyer created the company Satellite Propulsion Research, or SPRLTD, in mm-hmm. the early 2000s around the device and to sort of uh, promote his research. But the basic idea is actually pretty simple. Like, once you get into the physics, the math is incredibly complicated, but the device itself is pretty simple. Yeah. The idea is you're bouncing microwaves around inside a very specifically designed cavity. Right. That will turn pure DC electricity and just creating that those microwaves, yeah, right? Yeah, electric energy into microwaves that generate thrust without ejecting any mass. So in other words, you've got a chamber, there's no opening in that chamber, so there's no way for the microwaves to escape because mm-hmm. otherwise the microwaves would be acting like the propellant that we had talked about right, in previous right. So and, and as I said, that would be a very inefficient means of generating thrust because electromagnetic radiation has very low momentum. But uh, imagine that you've got this. But this clo- is yeah, this is not even pushing from the outside. Right, you've got a closed-off chamber. All the microwaves are in. Microwave radiation is inside that chamber. There's nowhere for it to go. Uh, but one end of the chamber is wider than the other end of the chamber. Yeah, and that. Uh, According to the various tests and the various uh, design documentation that we've come across is 
the the secret, right? That's the that's the thing that that design the is shape is, of this chamber. It's, right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's integrally important to creating that thrust. Yeah, l- let me try to explain it a little better. So I, I found a 2006 paper where uh, Shawyer attempts to explain his theory and sort of diagram how the thing works. Again, it's lots of advanced math. Uh, I I am not qualified to evaluate it or tell mm. you whether whether his math is correct or incorrect, but uh, I can at least look at what he's proposing. So it, the paper is called A Theory of Microwave Propulsion for Spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And here is how you claimed it would work. You have a magnetron. Right. It's like in a microwave oven. Your, yep. your microwave has one of these. And it's just it's like a vacuum tube that turns electricity into microwave radiation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you have a, quote, closed tapered waveguide. Now, waveguide is usually just going to be – it's some kind of like pipe or something. It's a it's a device that guides electromagnetic radiation or waves in some way for a machine to make use of. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it has to be specifically, like he says, closed and tapered. So it's not open. And it uh, it is, like you said, it's bigger on one end than it is on the other. Mm-hmm. And the magnetron generates microwaves. The microwaves are fed through a tube into this specially designed waveguide. And then this is a quote from his paper. He says, the group velocity of the electromagnetic wave at the end plate of the larger section is higher than the group velocity at the end plate of the smaller section. Thus, the radiation pressure at the larger end plate is higher than at the smaller end plate. So he's saying there's going to be, despite the fact that it's a closed system, there's going to be greater radiation pressure on one part of this system than on the other, which if you have a pressure differential, this should result in the thrust in sure, one in, direction. Sure, in momentum, right. Yeah, and th- that's an important thing, a unidirectional thrust, right? Like you can, without bracing against anything, sit in a rolling chair and rock back and forth, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. What what but what would you need to do to generate unidirectional thrust? Right, that's well, the question. And even with this description, it's still. I mean, if you start thinking about the laws of momentum, it still sounds pretty confusing because you're talking about a closed system. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of it as if you were in um, to to mag- macro size this to get out of the electromagnetic world. Imagine that you've got a spacecraft. And it has one wall that's larger, you know, it's shaped in almost a triangular way, uh, where you have one end that's very wide and one end that's, that's much more narrow. They both have flat walls in it. You get three quarters of your crew to line up against the wide portion and the last quarter to wind, to line up on the, on the, the smaller portion and tell everyone, put your hands on the, on the wall and, and push, push as hard as you can. <laughs> You would not expect the spacecraft to move through space because of yeah. that. So, though, Shawyer has an answer for this. Okay. So he's got a theory about why this works. And what he claims is that his device, um, because of relativistic considerations that, again, we're not qualified to evaluate the physics of, though some other people who are kind of qualified do seem rather dubious. Hmm. Uh, because of relativistic considerations, it's not a closed system. It's right. actually an open system. Once you take into account these quantum physics that he is talking about. Yeah. So if you just go and look at like the fact on his website, he tries to explain it. Uh, so he says, for example, uh, the thrust is the result of the reaction between the end plates of the waveguide and the electromagnetic wave propagated within it. Okay, again, well, that sounds like a closed system to me, but he says it's not because 
at the propagation velocities, and this is a quote, at the propagation velocities, uh, parentheses, greater than one-tenth the speed of light, close parentheses, the effects of special relativity must be considered. Different reference planes have to be used for the EM wave and the waveguide itself. The thruster is therefore an open system and a net force can be produced. So he's invoking relativistic physics, like a, like a sort of like Lorentz transformation. Essentially saying um, that, that your, your point of reference is what determines whether the system is open or closed. Right. And that from one point of reference, it appears to be a closed system, but if you change your point of reference, it's an open system. It's very similar whenever we get into discussions about, about speed and time, about how your experience of time is going to remain the same no matter how fast you're traveling, but your speed of time compared to someone else's speed of time will change, will, will, uh, appear to be different based upon your both relative speeds. Right. You know, relative to one another. Um, so, so it's one of those things where, it, it, like, without a further deeper understanding on my part, my first, my, my knee jerk reaction, and I completely admit this is based off ignorance, but my knee jerk reaction is, you're using special relativity like a get out of jail free card. <laughs> like, like, well, it's only, or, or Obi-Wan Kenobi. It'd be like, well, it's only a closed system. From a certain point of view. <laughs> I'm like, you're going to make me watch a prequel trilogy where I learned that you're just a big liar, Mr. Obi-Wan. <laughs> okay, so well, let's get back to where all of this uh, sort of hype in the media has come from. Uh, yeah. yeah, because in the past month or so, there have been so many stories in the popular media that have been talking about And, this. and that's where yeah, all of our requests came from, too, uh-huh. was like in the last month. Yeah, but uh, this is not the only time this has come up. In fact, you if you go back over the years, you will see sort of a cycle of like resurgence and then dying off of M drive related hype I have in the a, media. I have a theory. <laughs> you do? I do. Yeah. Like, At least of the dying off part. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So there have been times when there's some supposed new, uh, somebody comes out and says something about M drive and this may be Shawyer's M drive or any other similar form of sort of like closed microwave propulsion. Ah, uh, right. Cause he's not the only person who's been working on this type right. of thing. They're, they're very similar technologies. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you might even call them parallel that are, they're being considered and tested, but like, so let's say within the past year or so, you've seen a headline that says something like NASA confirms impossible space drive. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, those... That sounds exciting. Yeah. NASA confirmed it. Yeah, we like NASA. NASA does good work. Um, sure. And that is in reaction to uh, this presentation that came in July 2014 from a team out of the Johnson Space Center, which we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the presentation was called, quote, anomalous thrust production from an RF test device measured on a low thrust torsion pendulum. Mm. Rolls off the tongue. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, so the, the, the division we keep talking about, this, this group within NASA has a name. Eagle Works. Uh, Eagle Works. Well, that, that's a, that's an unofficial name. They don't have, I, it's, you know, based on Skunk Works. It's I actually strongly. Eagle Works. It's done by, you know, the folks from Scrubs. <laughs> I don't get that reference at all. You gotta e- go Eagle watch Works. Scrubs. Is NASA's Advanced Propulsion Research Group? Uh, yeah, you could also say they're the ones who are given the amazing responsibility to investigate the least likely, most fringe, most far-reaching possible hypotheses. Because the idea being that 
sure, a lot of these ideas that we're coming up with, and I'm not speaking just about the M drive. I'm talking about lots of stuff here. Warp drive. Exactly. Like actual warp drive. And that kind of, I'll mention warp drive with the M drive as well a little bit later too. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, they're in charge of looking at all these things because even though many of them may be extremely unlikely to ever work out, if one of them does, we definitely want to get in on that. So Right. Well, I mean, you can understand why people might be excited about this. Sure. If there is a test that seems to indicate, oh, maybe you could generate thrust without ejecting mass – I mean, propellantless drive would revolutionize space travel. It'd be oh, huge. Yeah, it would not. wreck physics departments across yeah. the world, too. <laughs> I mean, it, you would you would have to rewrite the books on physics. You would have to at least sit there and say, all right, for your basic classical system, this holds true. But yeah, in these cases, big addendum yeah. to, to classical physics. And we'll actually talk about that at the end of this episode, like uh, what this means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Uh, OK, but but so in this July 2014 uh Paper I think it was. I, I believe it was a conference presentation. Conference wasn't presentation. It? Yes, yes. No, that's totally correct. Um, the the group leader of EagleWorks, one Dr. Harold Sunny White, uh, proposed that the M drive should, in fact, be able to provide thrust because the quantum vacuum. There are giant quotation marks around that, y'all. Yeah. Uh, the quantum vacuum should function the same way that propellant ions do in a magnetohydrodynamics drive. A what? So let's unpack all of this just a little bit. Okay. Uh, I have no so idea what clearly, a magnetohydrodynamics drive is. Uh, well, it has something to do with the leader of the League of Evil Mutants. Right. Welcome <laughs> to die. Right. And then apparently one of the Spider-Man villains is in there, too, with Hydro-Man there. So. Oh, man. And so obviously the comic book villains are 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 deep in NASA is what we're getting into. Lauren, uh, can you explain this? Did you look this up? I can I can explain this a little bit. Okay, oh, so so okay. quantum vacuum. Quantum vacuum is the term for the concept that the vacuum of space is not empty. Right. But rather is is filled with like Heisenberg uncertainty related virtual particles and photons that simultaneously exist and don't exist sporadically and or predictably the way that they do. So, so yeah, the, like the vacuum of space is full of quantum possibility. Right. And and if there's a possibility, that means that at least some of the time there's a reality. Yeah. So if you think of this, like I think of it, I always go back to electron tunneling because that's goes back to my my technology right. stuff. Mm-hmm. So electron tunneling, the, the electron doesn't necessarily tunnel through anything. This is a term that we use for things like a, uh, when you're making a transistor and if the transistor gate is too narrow, sometimes an electron can appear to have tunneled straight through the gate, but it doesn't leave a hole or anything. Yeah, it's what, not like digging. Yeah, it's not Nant. Uh, yeah, what happens <laughs> is you, you, you've got a field that somewhere within that field, the electron exists. exists. So there's a percentage of probability that the electron will exist at any given point in that field. If that field can overlap a gate, that means that there are there is a, a possibility the electron could exist on the other side of the gate. And as long as there's a possibility, it means that sometimes there is an electron on the other side of that gate. Because nature finds a way. Yeah, well, and in electronics, this is what we call a bad thing. <laughs> because you don't want your electrons <laughs> to be able to go through the gates if the gates are not open. Yeah. That's, the gates are 
are designed to stop them. Exactly. Also, <laughs> You're supposed to have the controlled flow of electricity. Also in dinosaur amusement parks, um, that is a very bad probability. Is <laughs> I'm bad. sure so, we'll find that out in the uh, in the upcoming documentary Jurassic yeah. World. Okay, so so we've got okay. quantum vacuum, but what about magnetohydrodynamics? Okay, that is the fancy term for a type of plasma physics, and quantum vacuum is not a thing that is really agreed upon solidly by the physics community, but magnetohydrodynamics totally are. Um, it's basically when a conductive field sloshes around and it's also in the presence of a magnetic field, mm. it will generate electrical currents. Those currents will muck around with the magnetic field, producing mechanical forces that'll muck with the fluid and with anything else that happens to be nearby. Now, see, this makes perfect sense to me. This is why we're talking about electromagnetism, the mm-hmm. the the, the uh, relationship between electricity and magnetism. So if you have a magnetic field uh, and you've got a conductor, then clearly you're going to have the ability to generate, to induce electricity to flow. I mean, that's the very basics of a lot of our elect- electricity uh, power grids here. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. can you give me a concrete example and explain how it would work? All right, so let's say that you've got a uh, an iron nail. And you've got a copper wire that's wrapped around the iron nail. Sure. And then you introduce that to a fluctuating magnetic field. Now, fluctuating is important in this case. But if it's a fluctuating magnetic field, that will induce electrons to flow through that copper wire. So you've induced electricity to flow. It's the same thing we're talking about here, except we're talking about plasmas rather than, you know, a uh, like an actual magnet or an electromagnet. Uh, but it's it's the same basic principles. It's the principles of electricity and magnetism working together, and they kind of feed off of one another. Sure. W- where does the mechanical force come in? Oh, well, that would just depend upon you having some sort of uh, magnetic system that would have to be able to react to uh, the actual magnetic forces. I mean, you would have to ha- – for, for a mechanical thing, for a physical force to happen, I would imagine you have to have some sort of – possibly ferromagnetic material to be attracted to it. Otherwise, I can't – I don't know where you would get mechanical forces from that point otherwise. Um, it's it's a bit of physics that I do not personally <laughs> understand. Yeah, caveat number like 98,000 of this podcast episode. Scientists say that this is totes a real thing, y'all. Mm-hmm. So I believe them. You could have it be a mechanical force now that I think on it. If you've got a plasma, the mechanical force may just be the fluidic motion of the plasma – the the fact that the the magnetic forces are going to force the plasma to change different shapes that could be it as well. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, fascinating Wait, stuff. This part. This has part. Anybody I actually made a vehicle out of this? <laughs> yes, actually. Um. Okay. So magnetohydrodynamic drives are engines that capitalize on this weird trick of physics. Uh, maybe by using the mechanical force created by the system to push against matter that's nearby and propel a vehicle forward. I think that's what the M-Drive is talking about. But in practical, tested, reproducible systems, um, you can use the mechanical force created by the system to funnel a liquid like, like water or air through a series of ducts running the length of a vehicle. So the vehicle, therefore, moves forward from the force of the fluid that it's it's funneling being pushed out through the back end of the vehicle. Wait a minute. Is this the Red October in the hunt for Red October? <laughs> <The> caterpillar drive? <laughs> is that what it was? No. Oh, okay. No. That was that was nuclear stuff. But but this is this is similar. Um and they're actually Oh no 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 wait, no, I think in the I think it is. It's a nuclear powered magnetohydrodynamic drive system. It's a it's a possibility. I, I mean, obviously that was fiction. It's the caterpillar drive system. Was it fiction? <laughs> That's all I can call it. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Please, please go ahead. <laughs> no, no, 
know, uh, a Mitsubishi did make a real submarine back in the early 1990s that contained this kind of drive. Uh, it was powered by superconductive coils containing liquid hydrogen. Um, well, and it was also powered by seawater because that's what it was pushing through the system. It was using as a propellant. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So so this sub was called the Yamato-1, mm-hmm. and it was pretty badass, but also really impractical because it had a top speed of like nine miles per hour, <laughs> a.k.a. about 15 kilometers per hour. Yeah, like, uh, that might be comparable to some objections people have raised about the M-Drive. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but so, all right, what Dr. White of Eagle Works is saying is that if you suppose that the quantum vacuum of space contains enough particles to push against or maybe through a, a magnetohydrodynamic type drive, then it could it could work. <laughs> OK, well, I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's interesting that he says so. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's all I have to say. I mean, we, yeah, it's, you it's, it's one of those things where, where at some point you have to say, well, this this is dealing with a level of uh, understanding beyond my own, and I can't really have an opinion about it beyond that. <laughs> okay, well, l- let's talk about actual tests. Okay. I mean, there there have been tests. Yeah, there have and been And this tests. is why people are, I think, repeatedly getting excited, because there have been multiple tests, some done, I think, in the United States, some right. in China where they're like, okay, well, we're building one of these things, some kind of electromagnetic drive system, like an M-drive or a, or a Kinet drive. You know, it's bouncing microwaves inside an apparently closed system and generating thrust one way or another. Uh, uh, so, like, in China, they've been doing some. Uh, right. Since 2010 or so, this, this team out of China has been publishing research concerning this sort of technology. As of 2014, the, the, the last thing that I saw from them was that they were working on ways to monitor these devices from the inside with, like, embedded thermocouples. Because monitoring this kind of system is pretty important to make sure that it doesn't explode. Um, but, so, <laughs> but, but they have not, this team out of China has not yet provide an explanation for how an M-drive would provide propulsion in a vacuum. And, well, I mean, not, not one that's been widely accepted by the scientific community at any yeah, rate. sure. And an important thing to recall, or, or an important thing to point out, rather, is that none of the tests on M-drive technology have been conducted in vacuums yet, which is a really important variable in this whole space travel equation. Right. Well, I mean, so one of the things we need to look at is a lot of these tests do report results. They say, hey, hey this we, works. we generated some number of micronewtons of force. Right. Uh, or not force, of, of thrust. thrust. Yeah. So they register some tiny amount of apparently unidirectional thrust. They say we, we put it on a... You know, a, a machine that'll gauge if there's thrust, and they did register some tiny, tiny, tiny amount of thrust. Now, the question is, why did they register that? Is that because the device is actually working as proposed, or because there's been some kind of error, or because, uh, you know, there's something wrong with how the experiment is devised? And, uh, right, right. It, maybe there's some kind of factor that they have not taken into account, a couple of which we will discuss later yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but so all of this hype recently, uh, you know, up until now, no one has tested this in a vacuum. Someone from Eagle Works, um, an engineer by the name of Paul March, went on an enthusiast web forum called nasaspaceflight.com and said that NASA has built, has has run a successful vacuum test of an M-Drive. Yeah. And that is what I think all of these news sources are going bonkers about. Sure. Yeah, because uh, the the important de- thing we need to point out here with the 
uh, vacuum versus non the, the you know in atmosphere tests is that uh, there are other variables that could affect uh, measurement right where you could end up having a false positive on an outcome. For example, you might think that your M drive has produced thrust, but in fact, a nigh undetectable breeze could have affected the, the, um, the measurement. And that was one of the things, that's why people were saying you have to have a successful test within a vacuum environment to rule out some of these other variables. Plus, that's the environment that this thing would be working in in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that can happen if you don't actually have a vacuum. So so we've heard this report, apparently on an Internet forum, that there finally has been a successful vacuum test, mm. but that's a report on an Internet forum. Yeah, and it's a really cool Internet forum. Um, apparently, some of the uh, – like a bunch of the engineers from EagleWorks hang out there and, and kind of bounce ideas off of this community of, of like-minded enthusiasts. So, you know, but – Internet forum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so if you just look at the ones that have been published with uh, the the not fully vacuumized, would that be the term? Sure. The, that is, the chambers yeah. that are that are not actually a, a full vacuum. Yeah. Um, you could I, I've seen it suggested by some critics that perhaps heating the air. Sure. Could cause yeah, you yeah. Know, convection currents that mm-hmm. could move the, the device. And then, that, right. and then you get the false positive. The, the device seems to move on its own, but it's actually because of convection currents, uh, obviously that is something that you could eliminate by yeah. putting it through a vacuum chamber. Uh, another uh, criticism I've seen some critics uh, make is simply that these are hypersensitive test conditions. Mm-hmm. It, it's not registering huge amounts of force. No, that, very, very it, small. Yeah, as I've seen it compared to, you know, it's orders of magnitude below the weight of a raisin. Yeah, I've I've also heard that it's significantly lower than what had been predicted. Although, to be fair, in at least one uh, incarnation of this device, it was said that it would only work if the device were already in motion and not uh, work. Ah. You mm-hmm. couldn't use it to, to start. You had to be moving already, and then it would uh, uh, provide an acceleration. But um, either way, you know the the measurements we're talking about are very small, and some would even argue well within a margin of error, where you know the 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 amounts being measured are smaller than what you could uh, safely expect is beyond error with the metri- the measurement devices you're using. Yeah, and another thing that that multiple critics have pointed out is that it seems like. The more accurate the test conditions are, the smaller the registered force appears to be. Huh. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, the better the test is, the less force they seem to <laughs> detect. Yeah. Another thing I've seen quite a few scientists and science writers do is sort of register mirthful skepticism at the suggestion that the action of the device is made possible by this, quote, quantum vacuum virtual plasma. Yeah. And the thing about that is that they've never heard of such a thing and do not understand what it is with the implication that it's just kind of made up. Like it's not a real thing. Like it it might as well have come out from a a Star Trek Next Generation episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be followed by reverse the polarity. Yeah. Uh, Again, that's something that I I think we can't really comment on, but I've seen actual physicists making that allegation. I've at least seen physicists say... I have no idea what this is supposed to mean. 
Yeah. Like I, this is my field of study and I do not know what that is supposed to mean. Yeah. Which maybe it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't necessarily mean that the phrase is complete nonsense. It may be a weird way of explaining something that truly exists, but it's just a weird way of saying it. And that's why the physicist would say, like, I don't without further explanation, I don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. Like literally. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there have been a lot of good uh, criticisms, basically, uh-huh. of, of the hype around this device. And I think a lot of the criticism is not necessarily directed at the actual, like, the Eagle Works scientists who are testing it, uh-huh. but or, or more, even... at the, more at the media for sort of overplaying yeah. the results. Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah, or not even the Chinese team or Shire, but the media, which yeah. is fair because a lot of, right, you know. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we work in this field. It's easy to get excited about something that seems to be new and revolutionary. Sure. It's, well, especially if it's going to have us redefine the laws of physics. Right. And that's <laughs> that's a tall order. Yeah. Uh, yeah it gets and less a- exciting when <laughs> the new and revolutionary thing has happened like four times in the past decade. But sorry. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you know, I was going to say that, um, uh, you know, I, I read a thing in Astronauts where uh, there was a, bl- you know, the, the, the author was criticizing the media reaction mainly like like Lauren was saying and less about you know the actual people behind it but went on to say things that were really thought provoking to me for one thing uh, it was in that blog post where i read about uh, Shawyer's design supposedly only working once the engine was already in motion that it would not be able to provide thrust until it was already moving which as as the author pointed out makes it very difficult to measure you know, you're, it, it, from a lab, yeah. Yeah, you, you've complicated things significantly at that point. And also it all it seems to contradict all the the miraculous findings that are happening. Like, well, the guy who designed it said, oh, it shouldn't be working. <laughs> but people are like, huh. hey, look how well it's working. Or, you know, it appears something appears to be working. Now, you could argue that perhaps uh, it would work better in the already in motion model that Shawyer had said was necessary in the first place. Um there's definitely a ton of enthusiasm and criticism about this. And to be honest, it's so, it's so early, really. I mean, we, we talked about it being discussed as far back as 1999, 2000 in that era, but still from a actual testing perspective it's so early on mm-hmm. that it's it's hard to draw any kind of conclusions about there are also other weird uh revelations about this there were some there's some talk about possibly this could be a lead in to a warp drive where it's actually warping space time there was some talk about uh the using lasers to uh, to see if any space-time warping was taking place and that it appeared to be so. And then other people say, well, that's weird because in other devices that are using much more high-powered microwave and other forms of transmissions, you don't see this. And it's you would figure that as you're adding more energy into the system, the effect would be greater and greater. So wouldn't we have already seen this by now? I mean, the relative amount of power that's being used in these M drives is very, very small. Mm-hmm. You look at something like the Large Hadron Collider and you yeah. think, why haven't we seen some of these same effects in this other in this other uh, methodology, even if that wasn't what we were looking for, it should be so pronounced that it would be impossible to to not see it, right? So there are a lot of interesting questions along those lines. It's, and it may be that there are totally legitimate answers that we just don't know the 
we don't know the right questions to ask or where to look yet. It's possible, but it's you know one thing to keep in mind is the more outlandish we get, or at least the more the more we have to start really reconsidering our uh, idea of how the universe works, the the greater the proof needs to be to justify that decision, right? All right. Well, I think that should sort of lead us into the conclusion of this discussion, which is like, what does this all mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I look what at this. What could this mean? Yeah. What What could it mean? Because obviously, we like we've said many times, we don't know how to evaluate the scientific merits. We've read a lot of what seems like very rational and level headed criticism of it. Uh, I'm fine if people want to keep testing this and 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 find out maybe there are some kind of results you can show in a much better controlled test environment that actually would satisfy a lot more scientific skepticism. Mm -hmm. But let's say you do find some really significant looking results here. Mm. It seems like there are three options. Either conservation of momentum is wrong or this doesn't violate conservation of momentum, but exploits some kind of loophole in physics we don't understand yet. Right. Or there's just an error. There's just something we we did wrong. Right. So and, and it's like, what is how do we choose between these different possibilities? Well, if we're following Occam's razor, <laughs> we go with the the uh, measurement error. error. Yeah, yeah, because that's the that's the if if it doesn't require you to redefine the laws of physics, because obviously that would require the, the most amount of proof for that to be justified or it doesn't uh, require inventing or describing new laws of physics that complement the ones we already know, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, the most likely answer is that it comes down to either a, a measurement error, human error, there's a problem in the math. Um, that seems to be the most likely. And you usually, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily always work out this way, but it, the reason why it's a, it's a rule is that more often than not, the simplest uh, explanation, the one that requires the least amount of energy for it to happen is the right answer. Yeah, I've seen a lot of critics of these results uh, compare it to the thing that happened a while back with the supposedly faster than light neutrinos. Oh, right, right. You know, uh, so th- there was a test result. I don't remember when that was. Was that 2013, 2012? I think, was- yeah, I think it was. It was At one least, or two years ago. Yeah, it was a few years ago. Um, but, but yeah, there was supposedly a test result that had detected massive particles, neutrinos, moving faster than light. Yeah. Um, and everything we know about physics tells us that's not possible. You know, so if, if you go by Einstein and, and we all know that we probably should, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he's given us a lot of reasons. We've seen the laws of relativity hold up so many times and fail, I think, zero times <laughs> yeah. um, that it would be very strange to suddenly detect, oh, no, no, wait, we've been wrong about this for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And so when course, when people looked back into the experiment, they were like. Oh no, we just messed it up. Right. Yeah. It was it was in fact an experimental error caused by malfunctioning equipment. Yeah, essentially like the the way it worked was this. You you had a time when the neutrinos were emitted and a time when they were detected and that amount of time appeared to be less than what it would have taken light to go from those two points. But then essentially what was found out and I'm oversimplifying is that a stopwatch was off. Yeah. 
I think there was like a loose wire or something that yeah. was uh So so it was a it was a false reading that gave the impression that the neutrinos had arrived earlier than they should have but in fact upon uh further inquiry it does not it it wasn't the case. So uh although it did lead to some great knock knock jokes which was <laughs> which was uh neutrino knock knock <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So the neutrino anti-telephone. Yeah. So so things like that. But at any rate, I, I agree. I think it reminds me of quite a bit of that. Now, it, I hope that it turns out there's something in this that ends up being, uh, you know, a, a viable means of creating thrust because. Well, yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, be, it would be beyond phenomenal. It would be. Oh, yeah. So there's we have every reason to want it to work out. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I just really love it. Addending physics. That's that's my favorite day whenever we get to say like, oh, everything that we knew about the universe was a little bit wonky. Whereas my least favorite day is when we have to change the dictionary so that literally, literally means the opposite of literally. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, there is a certain mindset you can kind of get into when you're trying to properly practice scientific skepticism Mm -hmm. where you want to say, okay, hold on now. Let's, let's, you know, not get carried away. Let's look at all the possibilities. Sure. And that's a good thing to do. You know, I, I I totally advocate that, but uh, at the same time, we also do need to remember to be open-minded. Yeah. You know, people have been wrong about things before, even Mm -hmm. things they were really certain about. It seems really like we're probably not wrong about (laughs) conservation of momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but who knows? I mean, I I am all uh, I'm all for people doing these experiments. Though I have seen people question whether tax money should be used hmm. to do experiments that seem to violate the laws of physics. You know, that are pretty well understood. Yeah, if, if it were, if there were, at I don't least, know what I think about that. I think if there were at least a very compelling argument that lots of physicists said this makes sense, that it was not. Uh, it was not defying the law of momentum that it was actually working within that system. If there were, if there were a lot of, there seemed to be a lot of agreement. Like if Shawyer came out and said, no, 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 here's how I think it's working. And everyone said, that's really cool. Then I would be like, let's go ahead because the, the potential benefit is so huge that it would be worth the investment. And if it didn't work out, then it didn't work out. Yeah. And again, to be totally fair to them, they do say it doesn't violate conservation of momentum. They fall into the loophole category. They say that there's something else about physics that it's exploiting and it's Mm -hmm. not actually violating Newton's third law. I, I think, um, you know, I, I am definitely on the side of you want to always uh, add some skepticism and critical thinking to your science. It's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want to fall into the trap of denialism. Right. Where you de- you're denying something, even the potential of working. Uh, I mean, that's why uh, most of the actual reports from scientists I've seen have said, I don't know how this could work as opposed to this doesn't work. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, you might say it sounds like they're hedging their bets, but really what they're saying is they're being responsible. According yeah, yeah. to what we know about science, this should not work. But that's according to what we know. There could be stuff we don't know that explains why it would work if, in fact, it does. Yeah, that's so. hedging your bets is responsible science. Yeah, really. yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you're if you're out there and you're like, no, no, I swear I can show you how it works. By all means, you know, <laughs> Tell us, yeah. please, uh, we, we'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So we, we look forward to 
following up on this story. Now, you know, we said that the story has had cycles. I think that the reason for the excitement dying down is that the the studies that were an effect was measured. The effects have always been so small and difficult to replicate that that's why it kind of dies down. You don't tend to see a big hoopla over, uh, you know, uh, Promising technology fails to work. That doesn't tend to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. But if, if you, if you say you're coming out with a technology that is meant to change the world, that grabs headlines. If it doesn't work out, unless it's a truly spectacular failure, it just, you know, people just right. don't notice anymore. Like it just an kind Al of Capone's vault kind of thing. Oh, but boy. They, but they try not to schedule those in science, right? right? Yeah. You, you know? don't, don't, don't live, don't make a live television event of your test of the M drive. <laughs> <laughs> you might have egg on your face, unless you're approaching it from a truly like objective scientific approach saying, we're going to do our best and see if there's a measurable effect here as opposed yeah. to, wait, I got something to sell you. You know, you don't want to do that approach. Yeah. That would be terrible. Well, this has been really fun, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. This was one of those where we had actually had M-Drive on our list for a while before people started asking about it. You know, one of these things about – because it is – From one of the older cycles. Sure, sure. Well, and also just because, of, you know, it is a forward-thinking kind of thing, like the idea of the warp drive or this space drive that would not require us to carry an enormous rocket filled with Payload, fuel. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You don't – because obviously that – makes it harder and it limits how far you can go. Yeah. So this was one of those really important things that we definitely wanted to talk about and uh, it was exciting. Yeah, and and thank you so much to everyone who wrote in and encouraged us to talk about it. Yes, I encourage you to keep writing in because we depend upon hearing from you to figure out what we're going to talk about next. Otherwise, it's us just kind of sitting around saying... What's on TV? Future of spiders again. Yeah, future of more spiders. Hey, did you see that scientists fed uh, carbon nanotubes to spiders that then spun silk that were carbon-infused spider silk with the strongest tensile strength of any fiber produced heretofore? Are you messing with me I am right not. Now? It happened That's this amazing. week. Yeah, pretty exciting. More future of spiders. So there's, another, there's another episode right there. Yes. All right, but if you guys have any suggestions that are not spider-related... <laughs> You can disappoint Lauren, but inform the rest of us by writing to fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. At Twitter and Google+, we are fwthinking. Just search fwthinking at Facebook. We will pop right up, leave us a message, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Thermador at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.